You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talking About podcast. This is about the time we would have some sort of funereal march music or something to indicate the sober tone tone of the eulogy for the 2021-2022 Philadelphia 76ers. Their season is now officially over after they lost game six at home to the Miami Heat last night. Uh, to talk about that game, the series, and where the Sixers go for me, go from here, uh, Dave Early is joining me on the line. Dave, how are you doing today? As good as considering. It's a tough, tough uh, way to end the season. Um, this is like one of the first ones where we can't say like they win that series with Mike Muscala. Now, <laughs> now we need to like much more. You don't think a, uh, a healthy Danny Green in game six would have made the difference? Oh, it might. I mean, I can't rule it out completely, <laughs> but after seeing how Harden and Embiid looked, I'm going to say no. But yeah, I, they, prayers off for Danny, man. That's horrible. Yeah, so we still haven't received any official word of what exactly the injury is, but the reporting is it seems like a significant knee injury for Danny Green after early in the game. Last night, uh, Joel Embiid landed very awkwardly on Danny's leg as he was kind of engaged looking for a rebound and, you know, didn't, didn't, did not look good. Uh, I mean, we hate to speculate, but if it was something like ACL, MCL or something along those lines, we, it wouldn't be surprising given, given how it looked and, and everything. So hopefully it's nothing that serious. Um, but yeah, we'll await word of that, but yeah, the uh, re- regarding the team's chances, even if Danny was there, I mean, they fell behind by 20. I, Danny's a very useful player, but I, I don't think he would have made made the difference last night. Um, nah. Just really disappointing games five and six to end the season for the Sixers. Just no no energy, no fight, not, not a team playing like their backs were against the wall and their season was on the line. Um, you know, some of that was... I think by the end, they only had like three and a half guys they really trusted. Uh, like Shake Milton, who I mean, we can discuss. Shake played very well in game six, um, 15 points in the second half. But he was not envisioned as the guy that they needed to be on the court with the season on the line. So just a, a roster mismanagement and obviously the Danny injury hurt, but just not we're going to discuss doc and, and what we think about his future, but I, I don't think having these guys on the court was on doc. Like he just didn't have a lot of options to choose from. Um, I, I guess you should and could make the argument that a better coach would get his guys up for this game and they would at least show some more fight. Um, the, the ESPN inside the huddle where doc was basically like, 
hey, you guys are okay. Just, you know, play harder. Uh, it wasn't. You got to relax. You got to fight for this. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the Al Pacino fight for every inch insp- inspirational speech that was probably needed at the time. Um, I don't know. what. Uh, I guess game six, we'll start there. Any big takeaways from you? Um, seemed like Embiid for me was just didn't have anything left. His body just couldn't respond and do what it needed him to do. And uh, I suppose the main talking point is going to be James Harden not scoring in the second half. Just looked like he was going through the motions, like not really moving offensively, defensively, not even hustling back in transition. Um, The one play where Maxi and he had a, a miscommunication and then Maxi sprinted back to try to stop like a three on one and Harden was just like half heartedly jogging and Maxi kind of like threw his hands up afterwards. Like, what the heck are you doing? Yep. That that was pretty ugly. Um, no, no boxing out from Harden. Like, nope. I, I don't know. You, you've you've watched a lot more Harden than a lot of Sixers fans from his Brooklyn days. Hey, what what happened in the, the second half of game six? Yeah, I can't give you a definitive answer, man. Uh... I can say, like, I know that there's this narrative that he comes up short in elimination games. People say he gets nervous and passive and plays poorly. But, like, you look at some of his game seven against Golden State a few years ago when he went two of 13 from three, and a few of those were landing zone violations. He could have got free throws. He put up 29 shots. So there's a part of him that's like, all right, I'm at least going to go down swinging. Um, then there's the other end of the spectrum where like Kawhi Leonard's on him and he just didn't put up a ton of shots. He defers. Um, but this was a little bit different. He put up two shots in the second half and I couldn't figure it out. So I was actually just talking about this with a friend, but almost three possibilities. Like doc was like, okay, James doesn't have it. And I want him to stop playing point guard for the first time in a Sixers uniform. I want us to get Maxi some reps and get him going. James, even though you're not going to move it all off the ball, even though you're not going to shoot a catch and shoot shot, even if you're open, you go hide in the corner. That doesn't seem likely though, does it? No, I don't think with the season on the line, he would suddenly veer that sharply off what had been the game plan up to that point no if there's one thing we could have a million criticisms of doc there's one thing he wants to go down swinging with what got him here and that's his starting five and that's and his Harden vets and- you know like Harden, obviously if he's gonna if, if doc's gonna trust vets who've been in the league for a long time he's gonna trust a former mvp and exactly multiple time all-star top 75 guy <laughs> like he's not gonna just suddenly turn on james the only, the only reason I even threw that one out there was because um, after the game, I think it was Howard Eskin who asked James, like, you know, you weren't getting the ball. Does Doc call the plays? And James said, next question. So I just wanted to leave open the small possibility that there was some miscommunication between him and the coaching staff, or maybe it was longer brewing. Who knows? And we'll just never learn about it. But Yeah, he's, he, he said something like, we were running our offense and the ball didn't get back to me when mm-hmm. somebody, somebody asked why he only had two shots in the second half. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm just throwing that stuff out and I'm <laughs> going to my next possibility, which is he, he got nervous and tight and he kind of shrunk and just didn't want the ball at all in a sort of a Ben Simmons type thing. I'm not helping. And I'm, I'm split. I don't think that's the most likely, but I think I'm leaving open some of it. Some of it was something that has happened to him in the past some nervousness. Um, but the final one would be 
somewhere in that first half, he aggravated a hamstring. And that's why he was at least playing point guard in the first half. But then somewhere towards the tail end of the first, certainly into the third, we saw him an inability to separate from PJ Tucker, even in a full court setting to get the ball and bring it up. They couldn't get away, couldn't get open, wasn't really working hard to. And you saw guys like Maxi and Tobias, like looking to get it to him. That was that miscommunication you mentioned with Maxi. I wanted you to come to the ball and you just kind of kept trotting. You know, what's up, man? Can you not change directions right now? So that's my current guess. I'm not saying it's overwhelmingly likely, but if the base rates on a guy playing with a hamstring injury and it acting up at some point by game six of round two is pretty good. And we know James has battled with this now for the better part of two years. He mentioned it. If you had to, if you had to give me a guess, I would say he felt something. And some of it was that some of it was nerves. Some of it was stress. Some of it was a business decision of, look, maybe I have a grade one issue right now. If I get this worse, if this is a grade two issue, my whole summer's messed up. And I'm going to go into next season still reacclimating to that. So I'm not going to give it 100% effort here. I can't box out. I can't sprint. Um, but that's my best explanation. I can't think of any other reason why you wouldn't just run a whole pile of Harden and Bede pick and rolls when they're playing defense the way they were. They did it once or twice in the third, and they got foul shots out of it. And then Harden went back to hiding in the corner. So what do you think of those possibilities? Or do you have another one that I'm not considering? Oh, yeah. I think it. I don't know whether it was injury or maybe just the matchup, maybe a little of both, but it seemed like he, you're right. He wasn't able to create separation. He had the one play where he did try to be super aggressive and was trying to create something off the dribble. And he got like swarmed and fumbled the ball away and recovered and then got it taken from him. And it led to a fast break the other way. Um, So maybe just in his head, he's like, well, this isn't working. Like I, I obviously, I don't have it tonight, whether that's because he did feel like the hamstring wasn't right or whether it was just, Hey, I, for, for whatever reason, like PJ Tucker has my number. I, I'm not able to get past him, <laughs> I, but he just sunk into himself and said like, all right, it's gotta be somebody else doing it. Um, I, I think probably someone that had more you know confidence had been there before former maybe like a former champion like knows how to do it would have overcome that and like figured something else out and said like hey all right i can't i'm not not able to create my own shot like i want to like i can still try really hard on defense or you know do other things to help the team and he just kind of like quit on everything um I feel like that's probably some of it or, or maybe it, it just was his hamstrings totally kaput on the giving evening. And he just, he just couldn't give anything more than what he did. But like, if that's the case, then like get off the court, like you're not helping the team. Um, maybe he felt like Joel did like I'm in a lose, lose right here. If I start holding and pawing at my hammy and leave the game now, people are going to call me Ben Simmons. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, now your hamstring hurts because you're down by 10 in the third. Um, and he may, might, maybe he figured, you know, I at least have to be out here and help, but I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing it's some combination of confidence and hamstring. And I don't know the, the percentage pie chart split. Yeah. And we might never know. Um, I guess 
the only hopeful thing as a Sixers fan you can draw on is he has an offseason to fully recover and just looks like a different player going into next season. Um, so let, let's talk about Harden's future. He was he was asked after the game, you know, your contract status is kind of up in the air. You have the option next year. Like, what what do you think your future holds, basically? And he, and he said, I'll be here. Um, whether that means he anticipates uh, signing some sort of extension or whether he's going to opt into his option, we don't know. But um, what do you, what do you think is the most like likely outcome for the Sixers and Harden and that partnership right now? Yeah, I think the reason he was comfortable saying I'll be here is because he knows it's one or the other that you just said. He knows it's going to be some form of three, four, five year deal, or he simply opts in. Uh, and in both of those scenarios, he'll be here. Um, so Sixers fans should be wondering, you know. There was some talk, Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report mentioned it several times, like there's some smoke that he could take a discount. And he hinted at that in that same post-game clip, basically saying like, you know, I want to do what it takes to help this team win. So, it, you know, I don't know. Was it Brian Windhorst this morning who said, look, the NBA doesn't expect him to get a max. Like the idea of him just getting a five-year, $250 million or $70 million deal feels far-fetched. What's more likely, maybe he opts in and then within six months, if they like the way his hamstring rehab, if they like the way his body looks, they pay a little more, maybe a, a two plus one, maybe a three plus one. I'm not sure. Um, but given I could see all of these scenarios playing out, I guess I would take something in the middle. Maybe he opts in and then so, what, what did, do you have to wait six months in order to get him that the extension? I think it's six months from his opt-in date is what I heard back in February, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't I don't remember definitively what I know I know there there are six month periods after signings where the, I know we were talking about. I don't know if that is applicable in terms of options or not. So when we still viewed him as an absolute max player, we were talking about how he could opt in and then six months after that they could give him a four-year deal on top, which would be a $273 million all-in. So um, I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think he's going to be here next year. Um, so if you were worried he's just going to leave, you know, some of the people were saying like, oh, Joel threw Ben Simmons under the bus, and now he's throwing James Harden. He's not Houston Harden. He should have been more aggressive. Harden's going to leave. I don't think that's going to happen at all. Um, I'm not even sure that would upset Harden here after that he might just you know it's kind of Joel being Joel but um yeah so we'll we'll see how that shakes out uh but I I do agree with you that I, I feel like Harden will still be a six for next season in one form or another uh so his his max contract aspirations uh if he had them and it was kind of up in the air whether people thought he was worthy of getting a max contract when the deal went down in February. I think after this, this postseason where he went from being helpful and still a very good player, but you know, not anywhere near the player he had been to suddenly having what people will point to as yet another postseason postseason disappearing act in, in game six. I, I think that, there's little question that they would just put that on the table now. I don't, I don't think a max contract is in his future right now. I think 
it is possible he could get a big deal, you know, after opting in. And, and if he ha- was to have a, a good season next year, I, I think that could be on the table down the line, maybe not a max, but a, a shorter term, big money deal, as you mentioned. But yeah, I think the, what the worries that people had of them having to give him five years, 245 million or whatever it is, whatever the exact number is. I, I don't think people should be worried about that. I don't foresee that happening at this point now. Well, all right. So let me give you a prediction based on, I don't know all the facts, just, just to make it more fun. Let's say that it, it is six months that we're right there. You have to wait six months after he opts in. Let's say he opts in. And then, so he does that in June or July, August, September, October, November, somewhere around December, around Christmas, the Sixers now have seen how he's progressed over the summer and see how he's looked through, you know, a month of the season. And then they might feel a lot better about backing up the Brinks trucks for him or saying, you know what, let's play this out for the whole year and decide in the summertime, something like that. Maybe that's how, maybe that's what they're all thinking now. Yeah. I think they would wait. I don't think, you know, six to eight weeks of good play would suddenly change their minds to the extent they would suddenly be willing to do it in December or whatever. I, I feel like they'd need a larger sample size of, you know, not only he, him looking healthy, but him partnering with Embiid and, you know, whatever the roster looks like next season and seeing how it all fits together. So I, say that you took more time. You, you don't want to risk him going into UFA though, right? So that's why you would consider this type of thing to, take off the table that he just left completely and now Embiid is stranded. Yeah, I, I feel like at least wait till a couple weeks before the deadline. So wait wait until the early early 2023 um, yeah. just to have, you know, another month or, or so to evaluate things. I, I don't I don't think this, I think December would be pretty early to make such a big commitment. He had a cutoff date last year of October 15th it's, I think it's different now. We need a cap whiz to tell us, but they had to make that decision, him and the Nets, uh, by mid-October last year, and he decided not to because he wanted to test UFA. So, Yeah, everybody likes to be wooed, so <laughs> I'm sure there will certainly be something to that, but you know, he's not, not very woo-worthy right now coming, coming off this performance. He's so, woo-worthy. Yeah. <laughs> more more woo-worthy than woo-worthy, yes. Um, all right. How about a a guy who maybe didn't cost himself as much money, but on a percentage basis, cost himself what he had might have had coming to him in this postseason? Um, Matisse Thybul just looked. He did. He got his you know his starters role taken when the whole vaccine thing came up, um, and Danny Green could, took a spot in the starting lineup, and then. Danny was playing well, so they just kind of kept rolling with it. So Matisse was reduced to a bench roll, and then last night, Danny gets hurt. They they throw Matisse out there, like, okay, maybe he can step up. And, like, Miami was just totally ignoring him uh, defensively when the Sixers had the ball. Like, there was one play, Matisse was wide open in the corner, no one within 15 feet of him. They gave him all day to shoot it. He bricked it. And that was just the defensive scheme that Miami was comfortable doing. Like just leave him wide open clock uses defender to clog the lane against, you know, double to throw another guy in Embiid when he tries to post up to clog the lane. If, if Harden or Maxi or Tobias tries to drive. 
So Doc just decided like this isn't going to work. Just stops playing Matisse, and that's when Shake got more of a, a role in the rotation in that game. I don't know what it what is the future for Matisse Thibel. Like if if that's who he is, like you, you can't trust him to to be a, a regular rotation guy in, in a postseason setting. I wouldn't think, would you? It'd be hard to trust him. Um, I think certainly it gave them the ability to help a lot in a way you're not seeing when you watch, you know, the Suns and the Dallas series. No, no one's getting completely ignored or pretty rarely, um, especially with some of these five outlooks that the Mavericks are having success with. You wonder how come the Sixers are not doing a lot more of that. Um, you know, Matisse, you know, he, he has found a way to carve out a niche here and there by cutting, getting backdoor looks. And then at one point he was making maybe like 34% of his corner threes, which you might take that even in just 12 minutes, he had like two steals and a block. Um, and you're having trouble getting stops. So you see his value. I think he's got, let's see it player options. So they have an, an opportunity to extend him if they want. We did hear his name come up multiple times. I mean, over the course of his last 15 months in trade, he was almost traded for Ben Simmons, uh, for James Harden the first time. He was almost part of the James Harden deal the second time. And he was a player that we've heard pop up in rumors that they were considering trading him. Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe were shopped. So I wouldn't pencil him in as a surefire sixer next season by any means. And you know, Daryl Morey doesn't love to sell low on a guy whose value right now is rock bottom. So I would guess that increases the chances that they come up with some sort of team friendly extension, I guess. Right. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, or maybe they, you know, hope that something changes over the summer. He improves in some area and by the deadline, you have more, more of a picture of, what you're working with, whether he rebuilds his value some to the, to the extent that a team would actually view him as a, you know, somewhat the positive asset he was in the past. Um, as you said, he, his, his value is cratered right now. And it, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to sell at, at a low point. Like it would be right now. Would you pick up his options so that you're paying him, you know, $4.3 million next season and just give him that sort of type prove it deal risking he leaves next summer and then you could trade him too. I thought, I thought you said it was a player option though. I'm or... looking, I'm looking now. I think it's a, we weren't prepared for a full off season. Sorry. <laughs> As we go, it says 2023 is a team option exercised by October 29th. Yeah, yeah. So he, they already have him. They already exercised the option yeah. back in October. So he'll be on the team unless they trade him. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason why they would not explore trading him. But given what the market might be for him now, with the value where it is, I think more, more likely if there is a trade, it would happen closer to the deadline rather than in the off season. Like give him a couple months to, you know, get go back to being a useful 20 to 22 minute a game guy. Whereas right now his, you know, he had sunk to like 11 minutes in the postseason and then kind of out of the rotation altogether by the very end. So. Yeah. yeah I suppose that's... if you could get him on some sort of extension where he's making like $9 million a year for two years, 
then you might have a tempting trade piece at one point in the season. Robert Covington was moved in that Norm Powell deal, and it didn't seem like Covington himself had a ton of value. Um, if, last year, if you had had George Hill for $10 million, I don't know what's going to happen with Danny Green. Um, you know, I guess his injury will play a part of what happens there and whether yeah. he'll be available for next season. Um, yeah, and Green was the – they had the, the option for him, and he was their only real – like mid salary contract that could be used as a connecting piece if they needed to. So right. now they, they, they don't have that at all. Um, I don't know if, as you said, we don't know what's going to happen with green, but it seems very possible that he could be unavailable for a good portion of next season at, at the very least. So oh, yeah. if you're picking up that option, then that's maybe more to like be a contract you can use than, to be a a guy you think is going to help you next year, right? Um, so yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, if you're able to sign Matisse to something where it's a super fair deal, it's not going to stop you from making other moves. And then you can say, well, yeah, you know, six months down the line, at, if if we sign him to this extension in the off season, then we can still use him as a trade piece at the deadline. Like, yeah, sure that might be an avenue they go down, but um, it would have to be pretty team friendly. I don't think they're going to do anything close to what they might have two, three months ago. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's certainly uh, something to watch because um, the wing depth was definitely a weakness for the the Sixers in this postseason. Um, so Matisse, kind of dropping off the face of the earth hurt a lot, Danny getting injured and now his uncertainty moving forward uh, with his health status, their, their wing situation is pretty dire. So that will certainly be a focus for, for Daryl in the off season. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to, you know, talk about more of what the Sixers need to do moving forward, takeaways from this season as a whole and uh, yeah, where things stand with the roster and, and the coaching staff and everything else. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, and we're back. So let's start with with the bench, and I don't mean the the reserves of this team. Let's start with Doc Rivers. Um, Early... I put reporting in quotes, but the only thing we've heard so far is from Stephen A. Smith, who says that Daryl Morey and 
Doc Rivers are going to meet. It seems like Stephen A. says that, you know, Doc is going to be back with Philadelphia in in the post-game press conference after game six. Um, Doc said basically like he's, he doesn't expect to be going anywhere. Um, I, know, I know everyone was ready to run Doc out of town. And then he suddenly, we felt like had a, a pretty good series against Toronto. I wouldn't put this Miami series loss on Doc's shoulders, given the first two games without Embiid were, you know, you're, you're missing your MVP against the number one seed. Like you're going to be playing behind the eight ball. But then again, he, he stuck with DeAndre Jordan as the starter and giving him 15 minutes a game when it was clear he shouldn't be on the court. That was hugely frustrating for everyone. Uh, the team just showing no life, no energy, just basically going through the motions in both game five and game six. That has to be somewhat of a referendum on the coach. I, I don't know. Where where do you stand with Doc Rivers potentially staying with the team moving forward, Dave? I really hope that he doesn't. I hope that he that, that Lakers job is available to him and he wants it. And I hope that the Lakers have enough money to pay him um, because I don't, I kind of agree with you. I don't think he like deserves to be fired from the Sixers. If, if you ask me to make the case, if he, if I thought he was a great coach and the best coach possible for 2023 and 2024, I would point to all the things that were, that worked in his favor and worked against him. You know, like you didn't expect him to be the one seed last year and they were, you didn't expect him to be four games out of first place without Ben Simmons for half the year. Then he didn't have much time to work, make it work with James Harden. They, they overachieve in the regular season and then they probably underachieve in the postseason with doc. And um, ultimately I think the, the reason to move on is because he's just not the best possible coach right now. He was great in 2008. Um, and he has become increasingly less great over the years. Some of his rotational issues and some of his stubbornness, some of his ornery post-game things just and lack of accountability sometimes rub everyone the wrong way, makes it a little bit harder to root for them occasionally. And I, I don't think they are maximizing what they have in Daryl Morey. I mean, Daryl Morey was a guy who, when he was overmatched against Doc Rivers in 2015, he increased the variance. He had everyone bomb threes and they beat them. Uh, he is part of why so many people highlight the, the benefit of shooting tons of threes, free throws, and dunks. And he comes up with these interesting ways to innovate the game. We haven't seen a ton of that. And I think some of that is, you know, Doc Rivers' presence. Doc, he is never known for loving analytics. He takes the occasional jab at it. He recently was asked, do you think negative variance played a factor in game five? And he's like, what is that? You mean they weren't playing well? And then he took another little jab about the analytics community voting for Jokic. So, you know, not to say that he's closed-minded completely on analytics, but is he the most willing to devour information that this Sixers front office is willing to provide? And you want a synergy. You want them to work with each other and make each other better. And I feel like they don't. If Daryl brings in a guy like Dwight Howard and says things like, in the non-Embiid minutes, we want you to have all the tools. We want you to have a guy like Dwight, but then we also want you to experiment with small ball and shooters or bring in DeAndre Jordan and purportedly think the same thing. That's not going to happen with Doc. He's just going to play that one guy who's the oldest every time. 
and leave you in a in a hole when it gets to playoff time because you see all these see all these all these I mentioned rotation and they're largely scrapping it. Guys like Nick Patoon last year on the Clippers are suddenly playing small ball five and Terrence Mann. That stuff doesn't happen under Doc. Yeah, they briefly kind of went small in the early games of the the Miami series when Joel was out and it seemed like it worked, you know, for, for short stretches in a couple of those second quarters when they made runs and got back into the game. Um, but yeah, Doc never felt comfortable going to it for any long periods of time, making it like a, Hey, this is a normal change up. We're going to, we're going to throw out there. You know, it's not going to be something we do for 15 minutes a game, but it's going to be something we consistently use for three to four minutes a game. Like that, that never happened. And you're, you're and right. He, and he's, his willingness to sell out to overachieve in the regular season costs you experimenting beginning in February so that he doesn't feel comfortable trying these things in game five. Yeah. And as everyone said, like it was pretty clear DeAndre Jordan wasn't the answer back in the regular season. So it would have been nice to give Paul Reed more time to get acclimated and, you know, work with the guys and have more of a, a rapport with the, the non NBA starters so that they felt more comfortable as a unit together for when you, when you ran that out during the playoffs or, um, Hey, can Paul Reed and Joel Embiid play together? Like we didn't see much of that. And then suddenly he's trying it in the postseason for a minute or two at a time because they're getting killed on the, on the glass. And like, he just wants to get more active rebounders out there, but like that could have been something they tried, you know, for five minutes a game during the regular season. Uh, and, and see if it could work like just not a lot of experimentation yeah. um as you said and certainly some of that was hey we're we view ourselves as a contender and we want to kind of refine our rotation and th- the hardened trade kind of shook things up midway through the season you had to get him acclimated and everything else but yeah it's just on the whole still not enough trying different things willing to experiment um and that's, that's always been the case. Um, and outside of a, a guy who's like a first round pick and looks like a supernova, like Tyrese Maxey, just not enough trust in the young guys either. Like you have to be an all-star to win his trust at 20 years old. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. Like Charles Bassey plays great for two games in November, December uh, and doc praises him. And then he just goes to Delaware for the rest of the season. And we, we never see him again until garbage time in the playoffs. So like, yeah. what, what's the, that about? The, the old Wayne's world quote, we're in Delaware. <laughs> uh, is that it? Yeah. I wonder if the blue coats play that as a clip during their, their <laughs> games. Um, yeah. So just, I agree. I, I wouldn't put, Hey, they lost in the second round this year as the reason for firing doc. But I think, I don't think he, he necessarily helped himself. And I don't think given the entire body of work that he's the right coach for the situation. So like you, I'd yeah, be Dwayne, more than Dwayne more Casey, than ready to move on. Dwayne Casey didn't deserve to be fired, but the Raptors fired him and promoted Nick Nurse, and it was the right thing to do. And I think the similar Sixers are in a similar boat right now. Yeah. So if you can fire a coach a year, you can fire a top 15 coach all time. Um just fine. I don't know that they can. I mean, <laughs> you hear the reporting that he's owed $24 million. And so if this, if the 
owners are saving up for the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta buy the you gotta buy the Denver Broncos so Doc Rivers will remain the coach. Sadly. Yeah, and, and maybe Ben Simmons gets this 12 million that's stuck in arbitration. Who knows? I, I don't know. But if we do hear that they're running it back with Doc, I will be I will factor in the guarantee that he received before Moore even got here as a big part of that reason. Yeah, it you know certainly could be a factor and you hate for financial realities to get in the way of what would be the best organizational decision, but that those things do happen. Um, and I think, you know, to their credit, ownership has been pretty loose with the purse strings um, the last few years. They, you know, they're paying the tax and everything else. Um, but yeah, you would hate for for that to be the the reason that they don't move on from Doc here. But it could it could be, you know, twenty four million is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we always say it's not our money, but it's, it's someone's money. So uh, they'll, they'll be making those decisions with that in mind, I'm sure. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, How about, you know, obviously I think the biggest takeaways from the season are the Joel played like an MVP and Tyrese Maxey looks like an all-star in the making. So I I think they kind of have the, at least those two pieces to, to build around we discussed Harden. What what do we think about Tobias Harris? He was maybe looking to get moved in the deals at the deadline as like to Sacramento was one rumor and everything else. Then he suddenly was maybe their best player in the Toronto series and had, had a bit of a letdown, you know, didn't play as well as he did against Toronto in the Miami series, but he was still fine. I, I wouldn't, no one's going to pin these losses on him like they they might have in a couple of those games last year against Atlanta. Um, do do you still think moving Tobias should be an avenue they explore in the offseason? Yeah, you have to explore it. I mean, if I were James Harden, I, I would be thinking, you know, I, I know I'm not healthy. I know I wasn't right, but you didn't do much to to help me feel comfortable. You know, I, I we never played five out really like Joel Embiid at, at times a couple of years ago was willing to spot up to space the floor for Ben Simmons under Doc Rivers. He hasn't had to, and that's worked for him being an MVP. But when you think about like championship level upside, you can't have just Joel as your number one attack. You have to have another all-star. So getting either Maxi or Harden or both to that point would be an important priority. And that's not the type of thing that Doc likes to explore. He doesn't say like, what type of lineup right now could get Harden going or what or Maxi going? And let me go all in on that. And I don't think Harris is a great fit for James Harden at this point. You know, I might've said I'm starting to see it differently in the end of that Raptor series, but then beginning in game four, probably you went back to seeing like, okay, not the greatest fit. He wants to get his buckets. He wants to dribble three times. He, uh, he likes the mid range game and that just doesn't, compliment James Harden he'd be so much better off with uh you know he's too good to use this as an example but Mikhail Bridges yeah it's not the ideal fit but I think if you go come back with Tobias still on the team you're perfectly fine he showed he can coexist but if you find a deal where it frees up enough salary to bring back multiple pieces in in one form or another where you feel like your roster's a little deeper you have maybe not players at Tobias's talent level, but guys who maybe fit a little better, it's something you have to look at for sure. But yeah, I, I don't know what the exact 
move would be, but you look at a team like Milwaukee and they've got Lopez and Portis and Grayson Allen and these guys that are all willing shooters. Can you get a couple guys who complement this team a little bit better using some of that money? If you found something like that and Daryl liked it, you know, I'd be okay with it. But yeah, like you said, you'd also be fine if he was just back. Yeah, I, I I feel like it'd be it'd be perfectly fine if you roll next season with with Tobias. Um, I do think his his contract isn't as onerous as it once was. With you know you've one fewer year left on it now, so if you're a team acquiring Tobias, you have only two years left. That's somewhat manageable. That's not like this huge albatross that's going to be over your franchise for a while. Um, so yeah, I don't think it'll be as difficult as people might think to to move him. I think you could find a deal, um, especially coming off a, a postseason where he he played pretty well. So yeah, we'll we'll see how that that works out. Um, if if he roll in in the next season with Tobias still there with you know Harden opting in and Tyrese and Joel, I think that's still a pretty good core to work with next season yeah uh and, and obviously there would have to be some moves made for depth and everything else but it's it's not the worst situation to be in um but you're still you're banking on a few things going right uh and you're banking on daryl making some some good moves to flesh out the depth of the roster but yeah that's you know that's why they brought him in and hopefully he's the guy for the job and they can move forward from there. But um, as, as far as uh, everything else on the roster, um, I, th- I think Paul Reed acquitted himself pretty well in the time he got in the playoffs. I'd feel comfortable with him moving forward as the backup center. Uh, are, are, are you in the same boat? Uh, I guess, you know, you're, there's always like an option or two that pop up that looks really good to bring in. Um, some of it depends on who the coach is. If Doc's here, you got to be really careful. You can't just like sign a guy like Dwight Howard because that, that plugs him in for like massive minutes. And, but if, if there was a guy like Andre Drummond, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want uh, Daryl to, to feel he has to avoid him for some reason because of Doc or because Paul Reed deserves it. I'd also like to see Bassey. So I'd be open-minded with another roster spot just to say, I'd be open-minded to using an MLE and paying twice as much for someone maybe a little bit better, like Daniel Tice type. Uh, if you could get a guy like that, uh, I know teams have found pretty good, useful semi-stretch bigs over the years. You mentioned Portis. I know the, the Heat probably a stretch to call dead in a stretch, but he has played that role at different points in his career. Obviously Portis is giving you some important minutes at, stretch position um so if there's a way to do that i'd look into it for sure but yeah i like paul reed a lot yeah i i'd be also fine with bassy as you said getting into the mix like hey try and both let the, let the best man win um i wouldn't go the the ml route because i feel like they're going to need that for the wings like they really need to get a few useful wings onto this roster um and the fact that they already have reed and Bassey on these, you know, rookie scale contracts already in house. Like, I, I just don't think you can allocate one of your very few resources and avenues to, to getting the wing depth um, to another, 
a center option. I, I feel like you just got to like hope that either Reed or Bassey is good enough and, and go from there and use that Emily elsewhere for, for another position. I, li- I like that in principle. I would have to hear like a few names just to be sure, because if you're getting like a, a big who's worth $10 million for four, you know, I might prefer that, but yeah, I think I agree with you in theory. Um, all right. So we've, we've kind of laid out what we think going forward for this team. Let's, let's circle back to this Miami series to kind of cap things off. Jimmy, 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 (laughs) a lot of talk about how Jimmy was the one who got away and how things might be very different if the team had made the decision to, to keep him after the, the end of the 2019 season. I know you, we, we've t- talked about this before pr- prior to the series. You, you wrote a, a great article for Liberty Ballers, but has to be discussed again after Jimmy both said he still wished he was playing with Joel, and then he he he, pref- he, uh, he made sure to also say, but I love it in Miami. I'm really happy I'm here and everything else. But once again, saying how much he would have liked to still be playing with Joel. And then as he's walking into the locker room, screams, you chose Tobias Harris over me, which uh, I mean, just a great line from Jimmy, just being Jimmy. Um, but a lot of uh, discussions about that whole situation. Your own Weitzman had a good and um, interesting informative thread on the whole matter on Twitter earlier this morning. Um, where he did clarify that it wasn't between Jimmy and Tobias as far as who to pay, but it was between Jimmy and Al Horford. So Sixers fans can feel great that money that might've gone towards retaining Jimmy went to, to sign Al Horford. I'm sure that will please them to no end. Um, but we're coming off a series where Butler was the best player in the series. Like Joel was dealing with all the injuries he, he was dealing with. So he was, you know, 50 to 60% of his normal self. Um, and Harden had one really good game where he, he, he kind of won them game four, but, and Tyrese Maxey had, had nice games, but on the whole, Jimmy, Jimmy was the best player on the court. Um, and we, we can only kind of once again, wonder what if, if they had retained Jimmy and Butler and Embiid had been able to, to form their partnership the last few seasons and build, build upon that. Um, I don't know this, this would have been an interesting season to have both those guys. I feel like you can make a pretty strong argument that they would have won the, the title last year with Jimmy in place of Ben. Um, I don't know. I, you've, you've been on the, on the Butler beat kind of lately. What are your thoughts on everything? Yeah. I think what, what we've learned over this series, you know, Ramona Shelburne had an anecdote that the Sixers quote, like felt they needed to choose between Jimmy and Ben. And she asked like, what happens if they ch- had chosen both um, your own Weitzman? You mentioned, he adds that Bernie Lee, who was Jimmy's agent, who was well reported that Butler had been looking for a fifth year prior to that free agency, went on a rant to Josh Harris, who Weitzman also reported was the one who originally was on the phone trading for Butler in the first place. You're making a huge mistake. So I think one thing that has popped up in this discourse is sort of Sixers front office self-serving narratives that maybe they did it okay 
maybe Jimmy wanted Miami all along and the heat, he refused their offer of a max contract. Um, and I, I never was okay with any of that. No, never sat well with me. Cause I think the more details you read, the more you realize that the Sixers bungled that uh, off season. I mean, that was a period of time between 2018 and 2019 where the Sixers tr- front office was an absolute train wreck. They, they traded away Mikhail Bridges on draft day. They brought in Butler and they let him go. They maxed Harrison Horford. They basically spent half a billion dollars on Ben Simmons, Al Horford, Tobias Harris, and Doc Rivers, and then brought in Daryl Moore to say, can you fix this? So, and, and then including trading Butler away. So it bothers me as a Sixers fan. I think the move at the time was to roll the red carpet out for Jimmy, offer him everything he wanted, beginning with the max. Um, I don't think they ever did that. And I think his comments and other reports have illustrated that for us. Had they done it, he might've said yes. And then you go to Ben Simmons and maybe he's really, really unhappy, but I still think he, I don't think he's going to be the first, one of the first rookies ever. There's only been a handful who've done it ever to say, no, thanks. I don't want your $170 million. I'm going to play out this $7 million contract and take my chances. I think they could have convinced Simmons take our money. We know Jimmy's going to be the point guard. Um, and you, if you're really unhappy, we'll explore trades between one or two of you. We'll, we'll find a new coach if Butler and you guys don't like Brett. So I think that was the move. I think if they had a, a more experienced front office, they would have realized that, hey, we have, you know, maybe three all NBA caliber players here. We have to keep them. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's there's definitely a, a certain degree of hindsight that comes into it because I think it was fair to worry about offending Ben at the time. And you're talking about a guy who you expect to be a cornerstone of your franchise for the next decade. And clearly he is a guy that's willing to sit out with the trade demand. <laughs> like we just saw that. So, I mean, they, if that was something they were worried about in 2019, they, they were right on the ball. Like Ben is a person that would have been willing to do that. Um, and no one expected him to turn into this player that completely disappeared and was unwilling to dunk in a playoff game and then sat out an entire season because of various mental health slash back slash fear issues. Um, I, I think any reasonable person would have expected Ben at the very least to increase on the margins and improve upon being a third team all NBA guy slash defensive player of the year runner up. So that's not a guy you want to like offend and you given his age and you know, the trajectory they had for him with the franchise, I think it was a valid concern. Like now it seems ridiculous because they just traded Ben and everyone in the city pretty much dislikes him. Um, Like, Oh, you chose Ben over Jimmy. Like how ridiculous was that? But you know, in the moment, I think it was a fair consideration. Um, 100%. And for credibility, I, if I felt I had to choose, I would have chose Ben too. I was a huge Simmons fan. I think he's much better than many Sixers fans on Twitter. think he is. And at the time, I just didn't think they had to choose. I mean, if you were Jimmy Butler and you're hearing Eric Splestra and Pat Riley roll out the red carpet, we want to make you the point guard. We want to make you this franchise. We're going to offer you $140 million. And with our no state luxury tax here in Florida, 
you're going to get X percent of the 198 million Philly can offer you. And then you're going to have these Brett Brown and Ben Simmons headaches. And then the Sixers apparently like went to him with some terms, Butler clan, like, can you control Jimmy? If you can control Jimmy. Um, so I think the Sixers should have realized Jimmy has a tough choice. He, he would prefer to be in Miami if the money were equal, but we could obliterate the money. But Ben, it's not like we, we don't have to get that pitch perfect because he's choosing between 170 million and 7 million. So at the time, as an enormous Ben fan who would have preferred Ben over Butler, I still think the process-oriented move was to roll out the red carpet for Butler and just get him in the door, get him to sign, then go to Ben and risk upsetting him because I still think he would have taken the money. And then, you know, trade one, trade both, trade neither, whatever. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You, you're you not – I guess what your, your opportunity cost of bringing Butler back is that you lose out on – like the Josh Richardson sign and trade because and the other, otherwise, otherwise you're just, you're just signing him. You're re-signing him and, or ex, I guess extending him. I forget exactly what the mechanism would have been, but it would have, it would have been a, as a UFA, he would opt it out and signed. Okay. So five year deal. I, but so I guess some cap space. So you don't, yeah, you don't get to bring in Horford or whatever. So your, your, uh, your opportunity cost is not, bringing Josh Richardson into the fold via sign trade and you don't get to sign Al Horford. Um, you had to let Reddick go to get Horford too. Yeah. A big opportunity cost there. Yep. So there, there were considerations, but I, I agree with you on the Simmons front where Simmons isn't passing up with that money. You nah. probably have at least a year to like work it out before he gets super frustrated with things. And then, after that, like there's still going to be a market for for Jimmy. If if you want to then make the hey, we have to side with Ben in whatever chasm might have developed. Like if Ben, yeah, ben gets hurt, that that answers your question for you. Now you, you're not trading either. And if Ben doesn't get hurt and he's frustrated, and you can trade him, and he had an enormous value. I mean, they offered him for James Harden, peak James Harden when he was in Houston. So. Yeah. I think they could have had a, some some version of a super team if they just got in, Jimmy on the books. Yeah, just I, I agree. Get get Jimmy, and then you can worry about personality issues later on. Um, yes, and your your escape hatches would have still been there. Like you can you can trade Jimmy, you can trade Ben. Like we just saw them trade Ben when coaches. when he when he hadn't played for six months and coming off the worst postseason game of his life. Like they were still able to trade him for something pretty good. Like yeah, the Suns hired Monty Williams on May 6th, the day after the Sixers lost game four. What if they had gone to Jimmy and was like, I know you kind of hate Brett and the Suns are calling about Monty. How would you feel if we promoted Monty after this season in order to keep you, you know, you could have explored all kinds of avenues to make him feel wanted and appreciated the way Miami did. Yeah, definitely other things they could have done. Um, I'm not going to be like, hey, they were idiots because in the moment, I personally like, hey, that's I like Josh Richardson a lot. I feel like if Jimmy didn't want to be here, that's not the worst return in the world. And I understood the Al Horford as a full-time backup big and part-time playing alongside MB. Like he's played with alongside bigs in the past. Like, if Al Horford had played like he's playing in this postseason right now with Boston, no one would have cared. 
like like it, it could have worked out pretty well it just it just so happened that al suddenly was awful for like one year of his career and then went back to being good again this year well you know al <laughs> al dealt with patellofemoral pain syndrome often on the entire season before the sixers got him that's the main reason i didn't want him he had an amazing game against Giannis in the playoffs and then he did the knee hamstring thing and was seen stretching and just was kind of looking washed before they signed him. Uh, and then his, he almost got like six months off essentially and healthy scratch in Oklahoma. Maybe all veterans need that. You got a guy who's 29 years old, give him six months off and he's going to look like Al Horford. Yeah, maybe. So a lot, a lot of things, you know, could have went differently. I think ultimately Maybe they should have discussed it with Joel more. It seems like they didn't like go against Joel's wishes, but maybe they just should have like had conversations more extensively than they might have. And it could have became clear how much he really valued having Jimmy around. And G- Jimmy and JJ were v- quite obviously his two favorite teammates of all time. And so, yeah, you, you have a hard time picturing Daryl Morey not listening to that when Joel stumps for it. Yeah. So uh, it's it's frustrating, you know, the the what could have been's and everything, but it, it would have been interesting to see what if if they had kept Jimmy, what these last couple seasons might have looked like. Um, One point five rings over under. <laughs> uh, I'll say under because winning's a, winning a ring is very hard. But I, if yeah. you if you had if you had a half, like point, well, point would seven, they have five. won point five? I would have taken the over. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, yeah. Uh, I, I think. I think last year that that might've made the difference. Um, they given, you know, we talked about it pretty extensively, like the path was there for them last season. And I, I think the upgrade from whatever Ben was in last postseason to, to having Jimmy would have, would have made the difference for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, so tough times. Um, all right. So let's, let's end on a positive note. The Sixers still have Joel Embiid who, could ha- could have won MVP and and I, I think it's there were three guys that could have won it. He was one of them. So you still have an MVP guy in in Joel. Hopefully he uh, his face heals fine. He gets whatever minor surgery he needs to fix his thumb, and he comes back just as good as ever next season. You have Tyrese Maxey, who's still 21 years old. Like maybe he can continue elevating his game to be a, be an All Star type player. Uh, he is, certainly has a work ethic second to none. Like people constantly rave about how committed he is to getting better. So you, you expect him to do so. Um, and you have some good young pieces uh, that are at least interesting. You know, Paul Reed, Charles Bassey. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess that's kind of where the positives end. Uh, any Anything else? You, you feel like it's possible that they'll have their 2022 first round pick if the Nets don't want it, but then they would lose their 23, right? Correct. Is that, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, do you, are you, do you have a rooting interest there? Uh, no, I'll, <laughs> I have no idea what the, what the draft looks like. I, I don't really follow the draft beat anymore. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, I guess either way, it's gonna it's gonna be a late first round pick this year. I don't think the Sixers having Joel having Terry's. I expect Harden and at least Harden to be back. Probably Tobias to be back as well. Like they're not going to be a lottery team next year. So 
yeah, I, I don't think it matters one way or the other. But what would you do if you were if you were Brooklyn? Would you take it this year or, or roll the dice in the well, next without, year? Well, yeah, without studying the prospects, I would probably defer it and say. Yeah, at least there's a chance that they could be worse next year. Yeah, 23, if we don't love a guy, maybe maybe there's a 0.001% James Harden leaves or is traded. Maybe Joel or James gets hurt next year. Maybe Maxi rolls an ankle for six weeks. So many possibilities where this pick could have more value by Christmas when a guy like maybe Miles Turner is available for trade or someone we can't predict right now is suddenly on the market for cheap. And I'd rather have a, a better value pick than I would a rookie on the end of my bench who's not even in the rotation. Yeah, fair. All right. So not a great end to the 2021-2022 Sixer season, but there were a lot of fun times throughout the year. Incredible year from Joel Embiid. Um, Tyrese Maxey really took a leap this year. A lot, a lot of great things in store for him in the future. And, uh, you know, the, the Harden trade was fun at times. Uh, it, was, it was definitely fun in the moment when it happened. Um, we'll see what, what comes of that going forward. But, yeah, let's, let's remember the good times, I guess. Um, I know it, the loss hurts right now for, for everyone and wasn't exactly a uh, – they didn't exactly go out fighting these last two games of this Miami series, but yeah, good. We still had some good times this season. Dave, thank you for, for joining me again to, to break this all down and give our, our Sixers eulogy here. Um, any, any parting thoughts and uh, let everybody know where they can find your work on, on social and everything else. Parting thoughts. They should move on from the coach. They should get hard and healthy work with that guy who's an expert in hamstrings all summer long. They should work around the margins and, you know, get back to doing some of what Daryl Morey did in Houston and find a couple guys who can play both ends of the floor and shoot. And uh, I think you could be pretty optimistic heading into next year. If James Harden looked different, I mean, he looked sensational as recently as Friday. So if you could get some percentage of that guy more frequently next year, you know, Chris Paul had about two years with hamstring injuries and then he was suddenly all NBA, like a top seven player in the league. So not completely ruling out these, you know, sequences of events happening, and it would depend a lot on Harden's health. Um, so there's possibly some very rosy futures here for them. Yeah, it's not the sky is falling. Like, they, they still have very good players on their roster, and I expect them to be I – don't, I don't think they'll be on the short list of contenders next season, but they'll – Kind of, how, kind of how they were this year. Like they're in the mix. If things break right, who knows? Doc um, will tell you. No one picked us to be anywhere in any of these teams. <laughs> <laughs> that was so ridiculous. <laughs> you joined Doc. You joined a team that had been make, making the playoffs pretty consistently and had Joel Embiid. Like, second round twice. <laughs> second what, round twice. Before what you- are you talking about, Doc? He he says that's like Doc's fine as a coach. I. I one of the main reasons I'd be happy to move on from him is he just says some absurd things in his press conferences sometimes. And that was, was one like of them. Bar, bar none charisma before we got him. And that, I guess Philly has made him a little more ornery. Yeah. I don't, I don't think the, uh, the antagonistic bent of the local media has really suited him. He, he says yeah. some clashes with Pompey, Krell, Eskin. Bodner, even Bodner, Bodner recently. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the most condescending to Bodner. Yeah. So um, let me say this very slowly. We play when there's bigs. Oh <laughs> uh, gosh. Um, yeah. I, I too hope they move on from Doc. 
Um, all right. Well, Dave, where, where can people find you? Uh, at David Early on Twitter uh, for Liberty Ballers. All right. Um, Exclusively. I'm at, oh, okay. Glad to have you exclusively. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, thanks again. I am Sean Kennedy. You can find me at Philly Fast Break on Twitter. Hopefully everyone can get over this one quickly. Um, get back to watching NBA playoffs because it's it's been fun outside of the recent Sixers events. It's, a, it's been a fun postseason. So enjoy enjoy the rest of the NBA postseason. Um, we'll we'll continue to have Sixers offseason coverage for you here. And uh, take care. We'll talk to everybody next week. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the phone? (laughs) No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.